Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Today, we are joined by Teresa Shea, who has served more than 35 years in intelligence and defense within the public and private sectors. She served as Executive Vice President of Technology and Director of Cyber Reboot at InQtel, and prior to that, had a distinguished career with the National Security Agency, ending as the Director of Signals Intelligence. She is currently the president of OpalNet LLC and serves on many boards as an advisor with a passion for a safer and more secure nation. For this episode, we are going to bust some notorious myths about working in the intelligence community. But before we start that, the thoughts and opinions shared in this episode are only of Teresa's and not the intelligence community at large. So Teresa, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, Katie, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, and we're honored that you are taking the time. And so with your career, I mean, obviously a lot of clearance jobs listeners are going to be those that are working either in the Department of Defense or intelligence community. So I'm sure they're excited to hear a little bit more about your insights. And particularly for me, I really care about the next generation that might be listening and maybe doesn't have a clearance yet. Let's first talk about some myths within the security clearance process. Obviously, clearance jobs, we try to provide a lot of content on policy updates, ways to speed up the process. And so let's talk about some myths that you may have experienced in initially obtaining one and maybe some about the background investigation process prior to adjudication. That's a great question, Katie. And let me first say thank you. Thank you for being out there and really promoting this idea of working in a intelligence agency or in the Department of Defense or even with one of the multitude of supporting contractors, et cetera, all of which, of course, require a security clearance. But having done that myself, I just can't be a bigger fan of encouraging folks to have some time in the in this area. But I wanted to start, I mean, you bring up, you know, what can be a sticky issue, which is sort of the actual process for the security clearance. And, and if we could just start with a little bit of context. The largest security agency conducting security investigations today is the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. They are not well known, but they're definitely moving out on new initiatives, including one that's been now in the works for a couple of years called the Trusted Workforce 2.0. And Katie, I know you guys have had some information about that out there, but there's basically seven categories that they're going to implement this continuous vetting around. None of these should surprise anybody. Let me just remind everyone that includes terrorism activity, foreign contacts and travel, financial activity, criminal activity, any credit issues, public records, and then eligibility. And when they say eligibility, they're talking about things like, are you a U.S. citizen? I think most of these are obvious and the most important thing you can do when you're going through this process is just to be completely honest. If you're guilty of something, tell them. It's better to get 
all of that off your chest and much of it probably is irrelevant, but it's much better to get it all out there and make them aware instead of them discovering it in their investigation process. You mentioned Katie myths. <laughs> Couple of issues that I'll, I'll bring up that continue to really plague people, I think, is marijuana. So we all know that marijuana is a legal substance in many states across the country but it's not a legal substance at the federal level. So it is considered at the federal level today, still a criminal activity. So you cannot be partaking in marijuana moving forward once you decide you're gonna go in, go through this process and, and work in one of these clearance required jobs. Now, the way I understand it, the policy for the clearance states that passed I'll call it recreational drug use, is not a deciding factor. And so that's why I say, you know, if you if you partaked in the past, just admit it and just recognize that you have to stop partaking as you go forward to gain a clearance. That's where we are today. Watch this space because it's constantly changing, but that's where we are today. The other one I just wanted to bring up is this foreign contacts and travel because Katie, as you know, we're, we're a very global world today with, you know, you're working sometimes alongside individuals from different countries. Certainly now that we're past this pandemic, people are back traveling overseas and all that's awesome. The focus here for the security clearance is on enduring contacts but you really shouldn't try to determine which of your contacts, foreign contacts are enduring or not. Instead, I'd recommend you just report all of your foreign contacts, even the minimum engagement, as well as all of your foreign travel. That's just being on the safe side. And um, the final piece I wanted to mention on this question when you talk about myths is social media. Today, you know, it's permitted that the in an investigation for your clearance or adjudication for your clearance, social media can be used. I don't know that it's widely used yet, but plan on it being more widely used. So just be aware of what you're posting on social media. You know, think about it. Think about Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, TikTok, whatever you're using. Just Think about what you're posting out there because it will likely be used in the future. And I think sometimes people don't really think about the entire world is going to be able to see this. So, you know, I always like to call it the Washington Post test. If you don't have a problem with it on the front page of the Washington Post, it's probably okay. But beyond that, I just sort of think about it. Those are great points. And I think I've heard if your grandma wouldn't appreciate it, maybe don't post it. And so those are great sort of myths or just content surrounding drugs, foreign contacts, and then yes, that social media piece. And I think one of the biggest myths is that adjudicators aren't looking for a gotcha moment. And I think that just kind of came across in your theme of just be honest. It's better to be honest than for them to catch you in a lie because that personal conduct adjudicative guideline, that's that's really important. Let's talk about myths. I mean, you ended as the director of SIGINT at NSA. So let's talk about some myths in obtaining a job at the National Security Agency or really myths about careers in general within the intelligence community. 
Yeah, well, it's not a myth that the hiring process is slow. <laughs> That's factually correct. It is a long hiring process, largely because of the security clearance process. And I know many people out there are painfully aware of just how slow it can be. But again, going back to being a huge advocate for working in the intelligence agencies and DOD, yeah, I think it's worth it. Look, the opportunities you're going to get early in your career, the responsibilities you're going to be able to take on, you just can't compare them. And the difference you can make for the nation and your, you know, our allies and knowing you're making that difference, it just really is a rewarding, personally satisfying career. But they all do require this security clearance. And you're in the business, Katie, so you know more about this than I do, but that, it can be a valuable asset for you going through your career because there's so many. You know, I was looking at your website, Katie, of all the job postings out there, tons of listings of job postings. So it's a great asset to have. I'll acknowledge that on the part of the agencies and the DOD, there's a constant effort to streamline the hiring process within the policies and laws that currently exist. But for example, last year, you brought up NSA. NSA had a stellar hiring year last year. They brought in tons of awesome talent and good people want to work with good people. So what you get is great people to work with plus great mission. But my recommendation as you're going through this hiring process is to view it more as a partnership, Katie. So it's not like you against them. <laughs> they want you to, and they're working within you know certain boundaries. But if you view it as a partnership and that the um, HR department is there to help you, and apply as early as possible. And when I say early, I mean at least a year, if you can, in advance of your estimated, either if you're graduating or when, when you think you would actually want to come on board. And if you're still in school, there are tons of student programs that you should consider. All the agencies really try to get the students cleared fast to get them into internships and to make those internship deadlines. So it's a great way to get started. And then once you apply, go look at that SF-86 form. It's online and it's a form you're gonna need to complete for a clearance if you're given a conditional job offer. And most of the intelligence agencies anyway, ask you to enter the data using an online tool. But the time consuming part is gathering all that information about yourself ahead of time. So if you start now, you'll be better prepared. I know I can still remember when I, you know, was going through this and you, you, I really struggled to get, for example, all the marriages in my immediate family, right? Given all the changes, I, I realize that's a personal problem, but it was like, really? Okay, now wait a minute. When did this one, da, 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 da. You know, because you need all the names of everybody that was in your immediate family. So those would be my recommendations. Don't give up. It, it does come to an end. Sure. When it comes to the SF-86, you know, list everything you can. And then if you have a estranged family, I, I do, but, you know, just do the best you can. Like you said, don't give up. When you're talking about 
coming out of college, man, it's really making me think about the good old days, but coming out of college and thinking about an internship with NSA, you know, I really wish maybe I lived under a rock at that point. I didn't even know about NSA jobs. I, I wasn't taught this even in high school. And I know that those are major recruiting tactics of the intelligence agencies today, which I'm just so excited about because we, we really do need to start earlier. Kids have so much access to information. It's a lot to sift through. And so let's talk more about working at NSA because folks might be listening across the country. Do you have to work at Fort Meade to support NSA? No, no, you don't. This is one of the great things about NSA that to your point is not well known. It's a worldwide organization. We're in San Antonio, in Augusta, in Oahu, and Denver. Those in particular are what we call cryptologic centers. And you can find them on the NSA homepage. You can apply to jobs in those locations right out of the gate. But I would also say, you know, NSA is a combat support agency. A subset of the intelligence community agencies are also part of DOD, and NSA is one of them. So we have offices, NSA, I shouldn't say we, I'm no longer there, <laughs> but NSA has offices around the world with personnel deployed to, for example, all the major military commands and locations around the globe where there's U.S. military presence, real-time support to the military customers. And this is just one of the great things about when I was mentioning opportunity before, it's just one of the great things about being in the IC is the opportunities to work at different locations. I took advantage of that and was able to spend two years in London. It, you know, it's just, just at a great time. I loved working out of the embassy there and met all kinds of different folks and still have relationships from my time there. So it, uh, thank you for bringing that up, Katie, because I do think it's viewed as being only a Fort Meade location, but that's just not the case. That's good to hear, especially if, you know, the, the Baltimore, you know, DMV area is not particularly attractive to you. So, all right, that myth is busted. You don't have to be at Fort Meade for NSA. Let's talk more about sort of the security clearance process. This is a big myth that I hear a lot and so if you work, I didn't serve in the military, but in your opinion, is it a myth that you have to gain a clearance through the military to have a successful career in the intelligence community? That's definitely a myth. <laughs> I mean, that's, you're right. That's definitely, and thank you for helping to bust that. In fact, you know, I think military personnel, because we do, we do try, a lot of the military personnel, we do transition to being civilians but they typically have to do additional processing when they transition for their security clearance, depending on their level of clearance. Most of the military clearances don't require polygraphs and most of the IC clearances do. So that's an example of where, you know, it's, it's actually a myth in reverse where the military really oftentimes has to go through additional processing. But, you know, Katie, while we're talking about this and the careers in the IC, I can't help myself here because I get super excited about it. But can I take the opportunity just to mention a few additional benefits? And we talked a little bit about this or alluded to it, but the developmental programs 
So <laughs> I think the last time I counted, NSA, for example, has 17 different development programs. So this is, these are programs where they bring you in and they allow you to rotate through different offices because you can imagine it's a very diverse set of missions and different kinds of opportunities for what you want to do to include, as you rotate through these offices, to include other locations. So let's say you don't know if you really like in San Antonio or not. You just want to work there for a few months to determine whether you like to live there, for example. You get the opportunity to do that in these developmental programs and you do it as part of a cohort. So there's a group, you know, you're in a class. So right from the start, you're building a professional network that stays with you throughout your career, depending on, you know, after you guys finish and you graduate from the development program, how well you stay in touch. That's not well known. The second one I wanted to mention is this focus now really on wellness. And I know this is happening across the commercial space and the rest of government as well, especially since the pandemic. But NSA has instituted a civilian fitness program that gives employees up to three hours a week of paid time off to participate in wellness activities. Now, this can be anything. It can you know, be going for a walk. You can use the free gym at some locations. This has been a benefit for the military. Well, I don't know if you call it a benefit or a requirement for the military. They've been doing this for a long time, and I think you're seeing a lot of the IC agencies now adopting this. And then the last one I just wanted to mention is sort of the time off. And I know many companies out there offer this infinite time off policy, but yes, just go and try and take infinite time off. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So look, the top annual leave category will give you 26 days a year of annual leave, vacation time, and an additional 11 federal holidays plus 13 sick days. So just think about that a minute. Like for example, in 2024, there's about 251 workdays. I know that because I looked it up. And if you're at your maximum annual leave, you can take 37 days off just for fun. That's over a month of leave a year. So I wanted to just plant the seeds for, because I think people don't really know about a lot of that. And those are just some great benefits. Well, yeah, thanks for highlighting those. And it's just kind of a misconception that, oh, I'm working for, you know, a federal IC agency. It's work, work, work. And it's like, no, you know, perspectives have really changed across government leadership. And like you said, the pandemic really helped to propel a lot of that. But I mean, those are some great benefits in addition to, I mean, if any listeners have the travel itch, I mean, that certainly seems like an opportunity at NSA as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. From a woman's perspective, serving in one of those leadership roles at an agency, any myths that we could bust here for our younger generation who may think NSA just isn't for them? Yeah, it is for them. Thank you for asking this question because, you know, Katie, I'm a huge proponent of women and women in STEM and anything I can do for anybody out there, really, that's interested in working in the intelligence community, I'm happy to do. And I'm just so excited to see these women women 
and rising to the top. I mean, Avril Haines, as you know, is the director of national intelligence now. And her deputy, Dr. Stacy Dixon, a fellow Georgia Tech grad, is the deputy there. So here's these women leading this complex suite of intelligence agencies, which is just super awesome. And then you have Tanya Wilkerson, who's over as the deputy director of NGA. And NSA just appointed its third female deputy director, Wendy Noble. And Wendy has had this just super impressive career. She served in multiple locations like we were talking about, including London and also as executive director. And I can't say enough things about Wendy. I know her personally. She is just a great leader. I'm super excited to have her up there at the top. And I just think the IC is doing so much more to focus on women and diversity, especially in these STEM fields. We've come a long way. And one of my favorite books is Code Girls, The Untold Story of American Women Codebreakers of World War II. Have you ever read that book? I'm not a reader, but it sounds fantastic. Maybe I'll get the audio book for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love that book because it's kind of the history of, you know, women's contribution to World War II and cryptography, laying the foundation for cryptography. And Kara Christie, who was our first NSA deputy director female, is in the book as one of the cryptologists that was just instrumental in the code breaking during World War II. So look, women have been making a difference in this mission for decades. You can see now that they're getting to the top. So as you're coming into this as a woman, it's for you. You can look up and see other women who have demonstrated success, have families and children, and they have helped each other and they're willing and able to help you. I'm so proud of all of them and super excited about just growing. You know, we know for a fact that women bring a lot of different benefits to the table for, and in this mission in particular, you really need that creative curiosity that solves some of the hardest problems. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, we've come a long way when it comes to promoting women and diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we still have a little ways to go. But yeah, and being a working mother myself, this industry is starting to be a little more welcoming to that than when I first started in national security. So it's something that I'm certainly happy about. And so, uh, they, uh, Teresa, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today to bust some of these myths, to try to get the next generation of, I'm sure, just such smart leaders interested in national security careers. So any closing thoughts you'd like to share for our audience? Here's the bottom line from my perspective. The intelligence agencies and the defense communities need you. It's a great way to get your career started or kick-started with great missions and great people. And I recognize you can probably make more money going somewhere else, but can you have the impact on your country for the better and the knowledge at the end of the day that you, you made a difference? And it, it doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment. So I would highly recommend it. And there's a couple of websites. Can I mention these websites, Katie? Absolutely. So the first one is just www.intelligencecareers.gov. To help candidates see the full breadth of the IC, just click on whichever seal you're interested in. And then the student programs that we talked about is apply 
www.intelligencecareers.gov backslash student programs. And as I already threw out there, you know, reach out if I can help you at all, because I'm happy to do so. Excellent. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers podcast with Teresa Shea, former director of SIGINT at NSA. For more intelligence community news and career advice, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com.